everything be accomplished tonight in prayer that is your will to be done. Lord, we pray over it that you'll help us by the power of your Holy Spirit to tune in tonight to the Word of God. Lord, that everything you're wanting to speak forth, that by the power of the Spirit, it's like our minds, our hearts are getting locked into you. Lord, anoint our eyes to be able to see and ears to be able to hear. The Bible says over and over, those have eyes to see and ears to hear. <clears throat> Lord, I pray tonight that we would have eyes to see and ears to hear. And that your word will go out as living seeds of truth sown into good fertile soil of hearts and minds and lives, watered by the Spirit of God. Take root, grow, and produce a hundredfold harvest of eternal fruit that remains. And Lord, that you would confirm your word with great power. Let everything be accomplished tonight through this time in the word that your will to be done. We believe, Lord. Let there be a washing of the water. Let there be light of revelation shine forth and the power to bring breakthrough in lives. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, we've been dealing with um, the Spine of Prophecy series. In this series, I've been specifically dealing with end-time prophecy and just helping people to understand the book of Daniel, the book of Revelation more clearly and what the Bible talks about in regards to the latter days. There's a lot of prophecy all throughout Scripture. You don't just see it in Daniel Revelation. You see it sprinkled throughout the major and minor prophets. And even in Moses' writings, there's different references. And, and uh, you have to know and understand different symbolism. So that's what we've been dealing with. But tonight I want to deal with part 23, and I'm entitling this The Spirit of the World. And I'm going to kind of dovetail off of last week's sermon dealing with Jezebel and Ahab. And I'll talk a little bit more about that tonight as well. But we're going to focus mainly on the spirit of the world. All right, so let me just open with this. In Acts 20, verse 27, the Apostle Paul said, I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole counsel of God. And that's what I want to come from tonight is in respect to the Lord is wanting us to preach his whole counsel, everything that's in the Bible, not holding back, not shrinking back. And I believe, unfortunately, we're seeing an ancient prophecy that the Apostle Paul gave he said in his writings, he said, there will come a time when people are gathering around themselves. They don't want to sound doctrine anymore. They're gathering around themselves people that will only tell them what their itching ears want to hear. And I believe we're living in those times that that's beginning to happen. And you can see it. And it seems like there's something trying to intimidate and come against preachers that would cause them to shrink back from preaching the whole counsel of God. At least that's the way it seems to me. And so tonight I wanted to bring that out because I, I believe that this will fit into this sermon. But as a pastor, my heart is for people to be set free. And the only way that people are really going to get free is if we're willing to preach and talk about the whole counsel of God and not shrink back from certain issues. Just because something's controversial, just because something might be a little bit offensive, just because something might bother someone or not, still being willing to press in and preach the whole counsel of God anyway. All right, so let's deal. Last week we dealt with uh, Jezebel and Ahab, so this week I want to open up with dealing with root issues, okay? In these last days, one of the things that we're dealing with, I've already preached so much about this, I believe you guys have a good foundation, okay? But Leviathan and the spirit of pride, there's no way that you can deny that Job 41 is talking about Leviathan and it rules over the children of pride. But then also it talks about in Revelation, in Revelation 13, the beast that comes out of the sea and it's the Antichrist kingdom, 10 heads, seven horns. And it represents his whole kingdom all over the world, the 10 principality kingdoms, the seven horns and the rulers that are going to be under his authority. And there's such a strong connection between Leviathan and that kingdom, meaning this, that those that are willing to humble themselves and get things right with God are not going to be a part of this Antichrist kingdom. But those that are going to be lifted up with pride by default are going to be a part of that kingdom. How many knows there's not going to be any middle ground? There's not some kind of nether world that you're going to wander into, okay? You're either going to be for Christ or against him. You're either going to be in his kingdom or you're going to be a part of the Antichrist kingdom. There's not going to be any middle ground. And the day that's coming is going to force that. And people that are getting lifted up with pride are going to have a tendency to be um, rebellious and also a tendency to be deceived. So humility is your great friend 
in these last days. And I talked a little bit more about that last week, so I don't want to dwell on it. The second issue is Jezebel and Ahab. This has to do with rebellion. And whenever last week we talked about Revelation chapter 2, we talked about the Jezebel spirit and how important it is for things to be in order and the way God desires them to be. And I'll touch on that as we go. And I believe this will make more sense by the end of the sermon. Okay, just laying some groundwork here. But in the realm of the prophetic, this is one of the realms that the Jezebel spirit traffics really strong. And I love the prophetic ministry when it's real. I do. I've been tremendously blessed by the prophetic ministry. Our ministry is, is somewhat prophetic in itself. But let me tell you the importance here. When you're dealing with the prophetic, one of the things that's extremely important is that people are willing to allow God to develop character in them. Because the prophetic flows in and through vessels, and people that don't have character, it can really influence things. Uh, let me show you what I mean. I, there's a lot of different people I could give as examples in our ministry, but I have a few people that, that are intercessors that come to me and, and get a lot of revelation from the Lord through dreams or visions or whatnot. And over the years, you know, a couple of them that I could name, but over the years they've been so accurate in their word. But not only that, but their, their heart toward me and this ministry and my family has been so humble and, and Christ-like that that combined with the word they've been giving me, the accuracy of the word, man, I love their, their prophetic ministry, and I really embrace that. But whenever somebody is coming from an attitude of being kind of prideful and rebellious, and they, they challenge, they buck up against a pastor and leaders, and, and they, they don't have that character yet developed, you know, and they come and bring a word, myself and every other pastor that I know is going to take that with a grain of salt because of the, their character. You hear what I'm saying? And they're going to have to be proven over time because the Lord is not going to bless that, that character of rebellion toward leadership. And there's been some people over the years that, just like any other pastor, I've, I've been very cautious about. But there's others that I know when they come to me, they, they've been so humble and so sweet toward me and my family in this ministry and had such a Christ-like heart that that combined with that prophetic gift has been very powerful. But it's important that that character is there and that we make room for examining character in any person that's going to be used of God. Amen? All right, so another thing is prophetic people, this is going to sound weird because, you know, a lot of people don't know too much about the prophetic ministry, but somebody that really truly has a real gift from God, okay? Anybody can get a word or something like that, but they really have a true prophetic gift from God. They can see things that other people cannot see, but here's the danger about it. If they're not careful... Over time, they can also just come up with stuff out of their own head. And it's not just from the Lord. It's like, I really love Benny Baker and his ministry. He was here a few weeks back, and he'll, he told me, so, you know, he said, when I'm operating in that and I give a word, he says, I don't really remember after the fact, because people come to me after service and say, all oh, this, that, and the other that you told me. He said, I really don't remember everything. You know why? Because it's not out of himself. It's straight from the Lord. And that's kind of what I'm trying to get across. Some people, they, they can look at the outward appearance of a person, and that's going to influence their word that they have for them. That's not true from the Lord. You see what I'm saying? Or they'll read, they can kind of get a feel in the spirit of what that person wants them to say, and they're speaking that, but that's not really true from the Lord either. It needs to come a pure flow from the Lord. And the Bible's full of warnings about that, how people prophesied out of their own head. There's also a warning in Scripture, though, not to belittle prophecy, 1 Thessalonians 5.20, that we need to make sure that we're honoring the prophetic ministry and honoring the prophetic gift and making place for it. But at the same time, the other flip side is, the Bible commands us to judge prophecy, meaning that in 1 Corinthians 14, 29, that you're making sure that it actually is of the Lord and not just accepting it at face value. 
And there's things that, you know, Brother Benny spoke to me that I had never thought about before, I'd never um, heard before. And thankfully, I was able to record it. And going back and listening to it, praying over it, it was amazing how now, over a few weeks' time, more of what he said is making sense to me. You know, when God gives it like that, it, you know, you got to pray into it and get revelation. But it's really, it's a powerful thing because prophetic ministry can expose things that need to be exposed. It will deal with things that need to be dealt with. If it's a true prophetic ministry, it will expose the devil's schemes. It will expose hidden sin, but it will also encourage the people and build up the people and not tear down the kingdom of God. And so in this realm, the prophetic realm and the intercessory realm a lot of times, you know, I've been in the ministry now for about 20 years, and I've, I've known a lot of pastors. And a lot of them cringe when you start talking about prophetic ladies coming into their church and, and um, the intercessory ministry. They really do because they've been burned so many times by these people coming in, and they don't have any character about them. They're rebellious. You know, and they're divisive, and they give false prophecies, and it's not of God, and it ends ends up doing a lot of damage to the church. And so, they've they've been very shy about that, and they, you know, very dishonoring toward it because of all that they've been through. But we need to have a place where we balance things out, I believe, because there needs to be a room for that ministry, but not just letting anything go. And one of the warnings that I feel to give, and I'm going to move off this, is about hyper-spirituality. We just had a great conversation the other day about, you know, false humility, uh, me and a couple guys. It was really an interesting conversation. But let me tell you, just like there can be true humility and false humility, false humility will have to do maybe, for example, somebody will dress down or they'll be real shy and meek and insecure or they act humble on the outside, but yet they're not humble. Does that make sense? They're acting the part, but they're not really humble on the inside. Well, in the same way, there's people that are really hyper-spiritual. You know, they'll drive by McDonald's, and they got a word about the burger, you know, and they watch TV, and everything, everything they watch on TV, somehow Jesus is in it. And, and every time they close their eyes, they get something, right? But that, let me tell you something. The danger in that is that is not true spirituality. It's actually a great deception in that person's life because it's a false false spirituality okay when it's truly of God you're going to get it from the Lord and it's not something that's coming out of yourself and some of these people that have this Jezebel spirit say well why I don't understand why pastors and leaders just don't honor what I'm telling them and, and the visions I've seen the things that I get from God I'll tell you why because they know that not all of it's God and they feel a big red flag about you and once that stuff is dealt with in your life and there's a pure flow, that's going to change. All right, so I'll let, let me deal with uh, home and church. Last week I dealt with the order, the unity, the honor, and the respect that needs to be in homes and in churches as we line up in proper order. So I'm not going to dwell on it, but let me just quickly mention it is extremely important that things are in proper order with God, that our homes are in proper order. Because in that flow, there's going to be the blessings of God, where the husband is leading the family in the ways of God. He's rising up in his God-given authority. The wife, as the Bible says, is submitting in everything as unto the Lord. And children are honoring and obeying their parents that there's order. This is the Bible. This is the opposite of American culture. How many would agree? All right, but it's still biblical culture. So people are going to humble themselves and do it God's way or they're going to rebel against God. But I think that society's success at family values and, and um, families being the way that they need to be, I think that it speaks for itself that our society has failed. And their rebellion against God shows that it has created a lot of dysfunctional homes in society. Would you not agree? So we got to make sure things aligned in order. Same thing in the church world. There's got to be an order, and things have got to be unified. Where there's disunity, there's a hindrance. It's hard to get answers in prayer. But when we come together in unity, the blessings of God flow, just like Psalm 133. And there needs to be proper honor and respect shown one to another. 
The Bible says, obviously, for husbands to love their wives and, and treat them with respect so that your prayers are not hindered. But it also says for wives to reverence their husbands, which means to show great respect. So where there's respect and honor there, God's pleased, his blessing will flow. But here's some things just to point out. In a culture that we live, there's a great war here because the Jezebel and Ahab spirit literally are spirits. I'm not talking about an attitude. I'm not talking about, you know, some kind of a mentality. I'm actually talking about literal spiritual warfare. And when you're dealing with this, you've got to understand things like Jezebel and Ahab, these things have influence over the world system as we know it. And that'll become more clear throughout this sermon and this series that I'm doing. And so do other spirits as well. They have influence around the world. They influence world leaders. They influence nations. They influence our culture. And that's why it's so vitally important that we renew our minds with the word of God and that our lives line up with his word. That's the only way that we're going to be able to live free from that influence. Because as long as you're going along with it, everything that goes along with that, the oppression of the enemy, all the dysfunction, all the chaotic mess that goes along with it is going to be a part of somebody's life as long as they're aligned with the enemy. But when they really repent of that and they line their lives up with the Bible and what the Word of God says, they're going to begin to see a freedom from that influence. But look in our society. Television shows. I would say there's probably not one on television today that does not play the father as an idiot. And the wife has to wear the pants and run the show. And children, it seems like in the TV shows and movies, are honored and, and it's portrayed as a good thing that they disrespect and rebel against their parents. And they have the attitude against their parents of being rebellious and disrespectful toward them. How many of you guys know I'm telling the truth? So you have to be careful with what you're allowing to influence you. You know, be aware of these things. You're going to have to go against society in these, in these ways, okay? You're going to have to go against the flow to line your life up with God's plan. Another thing that's pervasive, I dealt with a lot of other stuff last week. I'm not going to get back into, but I didn't talk too much about this, but the occult world. The occult is very pervasive. Um, you see it. It's not innocent. Satan is smart. He's, you know, played it out to be innocent by putting it in children's things like Harry Potter and stuff like that. And people are gullible enough to go along with that and think it's innocent because it's a children's show or whatever, but it's not. It's witchcraft. And the Bible strongly condemns witchcraft, but that is very pervasive in our society, and people are getting more and more under the influence of dark things by messing with witchcraft, they're dabbling in it through movies, they're dabbling in it through television, and they're, they're getting things in their home, like Ouija boards and stuff, and playing these games, and maybe occult video games, and they don't realize that by doing this, they're, they're, it's kind of like brushing up against darkness, and it's, and it's defiling you, and it's bringing things into people's homes and in people's lives in the way of the demonic. And so will also sexual sins. But these realms of the occult and sexual sins is very strong under that Jezebel influence. And the three branches of the occult to watch out for and stay away from, number one is divination. Divination is the information branch. This is where people go to psychics. They, they want to do seances. Um, they want to go to the dark arts to get information. If you think about it for very long, how stupid can you be and still breathe that you would go to demons for truth? Because the only information, if it is supernatural, you're dealing sometimes with just charlatans. They wear a funny hat and they got a ball in front of them, you know, and people go to. But other people actually communicate with the demonic realm. And if you're getting some kind of information like that and it is paranormal, it's supernatural, and you're like, wow, how they know that? They're getting it from demons. And people are getting mixed up in that garbage. The second thing is sorcery. Sorcery is the material branch of the occult. This is where people own things, maybe a talisman, something they have in their life, a statue, a divining rod, whatever it is, in their possession. 
that they believe that that will bring them power, uh, wealth, influence, or whatever it is. There's a lot of different things. But the point is that they have, that's the realm of sorcery because they have material objects that's supposed to empower them. And under that can fall alchemy where there's the mixing of potions and things like that. The third branch of, of the occult is witchcraft. And this has to do with um, trying to control other people through the dark arts. And I want you all to hear this from me. I don't want you to get this garbage from the world because they're going to tell you this is good and fun. I want you to hear the truth, all right? If you want to hear the truth, you need to hear it in church. I promise you, you're not going to hear it in public schools, okay? And you're not going to hear it from our politicians, and you're not going to hear it over the TV. So the only place you're going to get the truth like this is in church. All right, the witchcraft, that, that has to do with trying to control people. So let me show you. Christians, when we pray, we're praying to God, and we really begin to seek him about things. And what he'll do is the Bible says that he'll open the heavens above. And so there's something that opens up, and God begins to move. His Holy Spirit will begin to move in people's lives, and he will send, this is very common, he will send his holy angels on assignment, to make sure that those prayers get answered. How many knows this is all through the Bible? Okay, all right. So Satan, because he can't come up with anything on his own, decides he's going to try to imitate everything God does, but in a perverted, corrupt way. So his servants, what they do is, they will, through different words that they chant, rituals they do, they open up a portal like a gate of hell underneath, and these demonic spirits come up. And then they try to put something like a spell or a curse on somebody, and those demonic spirits go on assignment to that person's life and try to cause whatever that is to take place. That is witchcraft. Can you see how that's a counterfeit and that's satanic? And listen, the, the realm of witchcraft is this. It's illegitimate authority. It's trying to operate in an authority that is not of God and trying to use different means to control people's lives. God doesn't control people like that. God gives us a free will to choose him or reject him. Satan's kingdom is all about trying to control people and manipulate their minds and their lives. And this is going to become more and more pervasive because in our society, the Bible says as it was in the days of Lot and as it was in the days of Noah, it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. And without getting back into it, I've already taught on this, but in the days of Noah, you had the Nephilim, and, and the occult had to be very rampant. And then you deal with the days of Lot, you deal with sexual perversions, especially what was highlighted was homosexuality. And so we can see society is embracing these things. It's a sign of the times that Christ's coming is near. How many knows that I may talk about the stuff that's in the Bible, but I'm not focused in looking for the rise of the Antichrist. I'm looking for the coming of Jesus Christ. And when I look at society, I know it's going the way the Bible says it would, but also the church is going to see a great end-time revival, and we're going to see a great harvest of souls, and it's going to be glorious. All right, so this realm of the occult, stay out of it, have nothing to do with it. If you do start messing with it, don't be surprised if you don't start dealing with some demonic spirits in your life that you allowed in, or you start dealing with some curses that need to be broken. Also, the Bible talks about being sexually pure. If you're going to have sexual activity outside of marriage, don't be surprised when your life becomes defiled and you begin to open up yourself to oppressive things. God, by telling us to be sexually pure and to stay away from these dark things, he's trying to protect us. So let's just go along, just right into this headlong, okay? In 2 Timothy chapter 3, there's a lot there about the last days and how a lot of things are going to happen as far as people are going to be lovers of pleasure instead of lovers of God and all this, okay? Just go home and read that. But I want to bring out some things that I see right now. What I see in these last days that's so strong, here's some things I see. Number one, people being rebellious to authority bucking up against authority. You see it in schools. Um, kids are rebellious toward teachers, rebellious toward principals. They're rebellious to their parents. 
And this is horrible. The Bible says rebellion is as witchcraft in God's eyes. Okay, it's a very serious thing. Number two, you see a lot of treachery and betrayal. A lack of loyalty and faithfulness. I know that it grieves God's heart and it also grieves the heart of people in church to see others that are so disloyal to their, their family and their friends and to, to church. You know, they're, they're, there's a lack of loyalty. Number three, dressing seductively. Hello? The Bible says for women to dress modestly. Man, if you want to start getting under the influence of a Jezebel spirit, let me tell you something right here. The whole seductive dressing, that right there is under the influence of a Jezebel spirit. Um, women want to dress in a way that, you know, show cleavage and wear real skimpy tight clothes and stuff like that. The only motive behind that is to be seductive and try to catch the eyes of men. And what they don't realize is, first off, that it's sin. I'm just going to say that. But secondly, they're, um, they're going to catch the eyes of the wrong person. And a godly man is going to see that and go the other way and look for a godly woman. So they're not doing themselves any favors by doing this. But I've been shocked, and I'll get more into this as I go, but I've been shocked to see this stuff creeping into the church world. And I know that it grieves the Holy Spirit. This, the next one is lustful behavior. I've been shocked, and I'm just going to preach it straight tonight, but I've been shocked about the people in the church world today that will go out like on a Friday and Saturday night, they'll go to a club, they'll drink, they'll be in that environment of that club where it's a totally sexually charged environment. The dancing that people are doing is very sexually provocative. And they're there hanging out in that, and what's scary is they're comfortable in that. And then they're going to come home, go to sleep, get a shower, come to church the next day, lift up their hands and sing worship songs. Does anybody else see the problem here? God has never accepted that type of sacrifice. Let me tell you about Jesus. He wants the whole thing or nothing at all. He either wants your whole life or nothing. He said that I would much rather you be either hot or cold, but because you're lukewarm, it, he said I'll spew you out of my mouth, but that means vomit. So in other words, a lukewarm life makes the Lord nauseous. That's what he's saying. And he, in the Old Testament, God never accepted when Israel backslid and they would try to bring some lamb to the, to the temple, it was all blind and crippled and, and, you know, diseased. And they would bring that lamb in, of course, you know, and they would want to offer that to God. And God already told him he wants something without blemish. And he said, I'm not going to accept your sacrifices like that. And how many knows that God is not going to accept the life of Christians that they come to him, but yet they're living in this unrepentant sin? And let me just go ahead and tell you some things. What concerns me is this, two things. Number one that I believe that there's a lot of people in our nation right now that have never actually truly been born again. That scares me because they go to church and they're religious. They know the lingo. They know how to quote scriptures. They, they look like all the other Christians. They know how to act. But they've never really truly had a new birth. Now let's think about it for a minute. What a lot of churches do is they tell people, well, why don't you just come down and say a prayer, and then you'll be good to go. Now, how many knows that's the truth? That's what they tell them. And so people come down in an emotional state where maybe they're at a low point in life, and they're, they're looking for help, and they come down and they say a prayer, and that's wonderful because that can be a way that somebody does get born again, but it doesn't, doesn't necessarily mean that they were born again. And so people think, well, you know, I said the prayer, I'm good to go. But the problem in that is, is not everybody actually experienced a rebirth where they are different. And the Bible says once you've been born again, the Bible says that old things will pass away. And behold, all things become new. So if old things are not passing away, they didn't experience a new birth. 
if they continue on in their life just as before, they did not get born again. In 1 John 3, 7 through 10, talks about this. It says that the seed of God abides in you. You need to write that down if you're taking notes and look it up. 1 John 3, 7 through 10. It says the seed of God abides in you, and it says this, you cannot continue to live in sin any longer because the seed of God is in you. I'm just telling you that you can't. The Holy Spirit won't let you get away with it. You know, you won't feel comfortable in these clubs and bars any longer. Trust me, I know that used to be my scene was the bars too. I couldn't do it anymore. You won't feel comfortable with the sin. Something in you has changed. You're a different person. And the Bible talks about in Matthew 7, 21, somewhere in there around 21, it talks about people. It says, many, not a few, will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, we did all these things in your name. We cast out demons. We prayed for the sick and they were healed. We prophesied. We did all this stuff. And by the way, they were doing more than a lot of Christians today are doing, you know. And Jesus told them flat out, he said, I never knew you. Depart from me, worker of iniquity, those that lived in sin. So what the problem Jesus had with them was, number one, that they never really knew him. And Jesus said, my sheep know my voice. If the Spirit of God, if we've been born again, the Bible says the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in us. And the Bible says this also, that the Spirit of God will bear witness with our spirit that we're children of God. But the problem, Jesus had to cast these people into hell. He said, I never knew you. We've got to have a living relationship with Jesus Christ. There's got to be a new birth that leads into relationship, not religion. People, people can be religious, and they can come to church. Now, some places use, you know, hymnals, and, and, and the, the choir has a robe and all that stuff. Let me tell you, if they are not born of God, and they don't have a relationship with God, they could be in the choir, having just took communion, have a hymnal in their hand, wearing a church choir robe, have a major heart attack and fall dead right there and go straight to hell because they never had a new birth. They don't really know God. They are just religious. Christianity is not a religion. It is a relationship with God. I know it's referred to as a religion, but really what Adam and Eve lost in the garden is restored in Christ. What they lost was the relationship. And God wants a family. That's the whole reason God created mankind. He wants a relationship. So, the next thing that concerns me, number one is the lack of a new birth, but the next thing that concerns me is people that are backslidden and away from God and living in unrepentant sin. Maybe they, at one time they did know God. Maybe at one time they were on fire for God, but something took them away from God's house. Maybe they got offended at church. Maybe just they got back into an old crowd and they got sucked into the same old sin they came out of. I don't know what happened. But the Bible says in 1 Timothy 4 that in the latter days, some people will abandon the faith and they will give heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of demons. And let me tell you, seducing spirits are serious. It pulls people. Um, the seducing spirit, that the words that's translated seduction can be translated deception as well. But it's a deceiving, seducing spirit. That's what the Bible says. Will pull them away from Christ. And they go back into stuff, and they fall away from God, and they abandon the faith. Next thing you know, they're living in total unrepentant sin. And the Apostle Paul told the Corinthian church, I want you to think about this. You can look this up. He told the Corinthian church, these were Christians. This letter was written to a church. It wasn't written to the proconsul to read to the city of heathen. It was written to the church. Paul wrote it to the church and said this. He said, you examine yourself and make sure that you are in the faith if you pass the test. He told them, you better examine yourself and make sure that you're in the faith. And preachers that are getting up and telling people, oh, yeah, you're all saved. Everything's great. Everything's good. They're not doing anybody any favors because if there is a lost person there that could be saved and they end up in hell, that preacher is going to hear about it when he stands before Jesus one day. And let me tell you, it's better to just preach the truth and tell people like Paul did, listen, examine yourself and make sure you're in the faith. 
And the Bible says doctrines of demons. You know what a doctrine of demons is? There's a lot of different doctrines of demons, but one of them is this. Any type of teaching that makes people feel that they can live a life of unrepentant sin and then die and go to heaven, living a life of unrepentant sin, I'm not talking about every Christian, everybody in this room, everybody listening, everybody sins every now and then and makes a mistake and we've got to ask God's forgiveness. I'm not even talking about that. I'm talking about somebody that is living a lifestyle of unrepentant sin, ongoing sin. Maybe they're shacked up with a boyfriend, girlfriend, living in sin. Whatever it is, they're living a lifestyle of sin. If they die in that condition, they're not going to heaven when they die. And my heart in this is that people get free, that people around the world will hear the word of God and be pricked in the heart, be convicted, and say, you know, maybe I need to make sure my life is lined up with God's word. Maybe I need to make sure to deal with some of this stuff in my life. And because of that, they're going to find their way to heaven. They're going to find their way to eternal life. But somebody telling them the opposite is going to lead them astray. And thank God for the conviction of the Holy Spirit. You know what would be scary to me is if this type of preaching and the Holy Spirit is moving and there was sin and the Holy Spirit was not dealing, that somebody could come in to the presence of God, hear a sermon like this, feel the, the Holy Spirit around them, but there's no conviction and they go home the same as they came in the Holy Spirit. That would be scary. Listen, I want, if there's something in my life, I want the Holy Spirit to convict me so strong that I can't go to sleep till I deal with it. Amen? How many else feel that way? I love the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said when he comes, he will lead you into all truth and that he will convict the world of sin. That's his job. He's come to help us if there's stuff in our life that doesn't need to be there to convict us. And I've been shocked and concerned. I know we're in the last days and I know these things must happen, but I've just been so grieved in my heart seeing all the, in the church world, the drinking, the smoking, the profanity, the clubbing, the going to bars, the partying, the uh, things that's going on in the church world. What is going on? How did the world get in like that? And also, I've seen a lot of places that because they want, you know, superb worship music and they want it to be so extremely talented, they'll hire in musicians, some of which are not Christians, they're just total heathen, to play in their church. What is going on? I would much rather have it be a little less um, quality but have the anointing because God's not going to anoint some atheist heathen that hates God. He's just there to make a paycheck. The dating scene, oh, Lord, don't get me started. <laughs> Pastor Stephen's doing a good job talking about that, but listen, in the Bible, it's just not biblical. If you don't believe me, go home, read the Bible. It's not and it's ruining so many people's lives. They're going from play, person to person to person, giving their heart to this person. Their heart's being broke, ripped to pieces. And by the time they accept, uh, they find their, their, the person God put in their life, they've been through so much heartache and so much stuff, so much baggage, they're bringing all that into the relationship. And it hurts the relationship. Listen, what the Bible shows us is to just go after God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, everything that's in you. Live a holy life. Go after him. And he'll bring you somebody. And you'll know it because God will speak to you about it. The next thing is ungodly entertainment. I'm preaching tonight to help people get free. I want you free from Jezebel's influence. I want you free so that you can really live um, a life for the Lord without being hindered. The ungodly entertainment where, I mean, you know, people come to church and they'll worship and, and they go home and they want to read their Bible. But yet, I mean... There's the movies and television. It's just GD this, MF this, da-da-da-da, profanity, profanity. People taking their clothes off, having sex. And they're watching this stuff, just in, in filling their home, filling their mind. It has a defilement. And somebody says, well, you know what? I'm not actually doing it. But listen, it affects you. Trust me. I'm telling you as a preacher, I'm telling you as somebody that knows the Lord, it affects you. It affects your mind. It affects your heart. And it can defile you. It can defile your home. And if you got that stuff in your home, go home and clean house. Just get rid of it. Chunk, if you got you know, DVDs or whatever, get rid of all the junk. If it's ex extreme violence like in these slasher movies and stuff, there's no room for that stuff. How, how can we as Christians 
love God, worship God, and then sit there and watch this movie where people are ripping each other to shreds, you know. It just doesn't even make any sense. But it's really oppressing and affecting people. Another thing I see in churches is that the government has crept in. (laughs) It is that everybody wants it to be a democracy. Listen, churches is a theocracy, meaning God's in charge. They say, what are we going to do? We pray, and Jesus says, I want you to do this. And then the pastor gets up and says, you know what? We're going to have a vote. So everybody wants to do what Jesus said. Hands up. Those that don't want to do what Jesus said, I mean, it doesn't make any sense, but that's the way most churches are run today. It's like a democracy where everybody gets a vote about everything. How about we just get back to the Bible in Acts chapter 15 where the leaders prayed, they heard from the Holy Spirit, and did what God said. I think that here's the problem is a lack of prayer and true spirituality in church. There's, people aren't praying like they should be. Therefore, they don't have discernment. Programs have replaced the move of God. The Bible says, unless God build the house, them that labor, labor in vain. And I'm going to tell you that whenever God's not moving, because people aren't praying, they're not seeking him, they're not going after him, and so the, the Spirit of God's not moving, they have to have some kind of substitute, don't they? Listen, as far as for me, people can come and go, whatever. I want Book of Acts Christianity. And let me tell you, in today's world here in America, there's, there's such a lack of that. There's so much powerless Christianity. They might see a few people saved here and there. Um, they probably never do see healings. But if they do, it's very rare. I'm extremely rare. But they don't see people come in sick, get prayer, and leave out healed. They probably don't see demons coming out of people. And they don't see the power of God and the gifts of the Spirit at work. And because they don't see those things, they think that that's normal Christianity. And everything's been dumbed way, way down to this, you know, religious system that's void of the power of God. And it's not changing anybody's lives. A lot of these people go to church and they go in one way and come out the same and their life isn't impacted. They're not changed. And as far as for me, I cannot be content with that and that just be the end of it. I just can't do it anymore. I've, I've seen the power of God. I've experienced the power of God. And I just can't do it. I could, I could never go back. And, you know, my daughter's grown up around the power of God. She can tell stories. She's seen, she's seen people physically healed. She's seen people mentally and emotionally healed. Uh, she's seen the power of God. She's seen demons come out of people. And that's, to me, I've read the Bible. That is normal Christianity. How many people would agree with me, say, Pastor Scott, I've read the, the ministry of Jesus Christ, and then I saw his disciples and the church they planted in the book of Acts. I've read the book of Acts. And normal Christianity is the power of God coming down, healing the sick and the oppressed, delivering people. How many would agree with me? That's normal Christianity, okay? Then let's press in and see God move. And I felt led to say something real quick here. You guys are familiar with, with a pastor by the name of John Kilpatrick. When he was a child, I really feel this story that there's a couple people that need to hear this. I think this will answer some questions. When he was a child, he was called into the ministry. What happened was he had a a bad home. His father was not a Christian and was abusive to his mother. And his mother became a Christian and was trying to take him to church, and he would physically beat his mom for taking him to church. And so there was, he grew up in a very dysfunctional, dysfunctional home and experienced a lot of pain at home. And God called him into the ministry. I don't remember. He was probably around the age of somewhere between 8 to 12, right in there. And he said that he was at school, and they were watching some video on the projector in, in like biology or some science class. And he said all of a sudden the projector came down, the volume came down, and God spoke to him and called him into the ministry. He said, I'm calling you into the ministry, and I'm calling you to do this, 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 and this. It was real specific. And he said also to him as a child, he said, you do not hang around the other children in your neighborhood or I will lose you. And then he said, the Lord spoke to him and said, these words will be confirmed today. Now think about a little kid having an encounter with God like that. He was kind of scared. 
And so when he was leaving, the person that was there, whether it was a, a coach or a teacher or whoever it was that was there facilitating that, was a Christian. And he said that everybody, the class was over, people were leaving, and he's still processing this stuff as a child. And he got his stuff up and was leaving, and the teacher told him, or whoever it was said, hey, he said, what's going on with you? He said, man, there's like the presence of God. I see God's presence on you. He started crying. You know, he just had an encounter with God. So anyway, here's to make a long story short. He, he's on his way home, and he's going to go home and tell his mom. School's over. He's going home to tell her. That day, his mother was at home, and some lady come by from the church down the road. It wasn't the church she went to, just a, another Pentecostal full gospel church. And they were selling, like, donuts or something for a fundraiser, right? And so a lady comes on the porch, and she's trying to get raise the money. She's selling the donuts. And all of a sudden, she just said, man, and she uh, lifted her hands. She gave a message in tongues, and she gave the interpretation right there on the porch. Here's, here's revival right there on the porch, right? And listen, the message in tongues and the interpretation was word for word what God spoke to that young man at school. He said, I'm, she said, I'm calling your son into the ministry. He's called to do bam, 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 exactly what he was told and said that um, keep him away from the other kids because God will lose him if you don't. And so he runs home to tell his mom, and uh, she said, well, she's, he's like, I want to tell you something. And she said, well, I need to tell you something. So it was one of those conversations. <laughs> and whenever she told him, his, his mouth just dropped because he had just heard God tell him that word for word. But my point was this. God had told him at a young age to stay away from the other children because they'd pull him down. And God said, I would lose you if you didn't. Some of you may feel, and I feel this is for a couple people, you've wondered why you feel like there's kind of a seclusion about your life. There's a reason. Okay? There's a reason. And he said that when he was growing up, there was a pastor there that was a mighty man of God and kind of took him under his wing and mentored him. It was like a dad to him. And this was the same man, that pastor, where those angels came in that building during that prayer meeting. It was, it was a powerful story. But um, he said that he would drive. He said most nights they spent at church, and they spent a lot of nights in prayer. They would come up there and just have prayer meetings. Sometimes it was just the two of them. Other times a bunch of people were there. When he got off school, he'd go hang out there, and, and the pastor was teaching him things. And he said he would drive down the road in the car and see all these other kids doing stuff, and he wondered. He said, man, you know, my life is so weird. You see, all these kids are out there doing all this stuff, and here I am hanging out with this pastor. But see, now, years later, it all makes sense because he pastored this major move of God where, like, well, in my opinion, at least a million people got saved and major revival and uh, impacted the world, quite honestly. And, but God had to set him apart. So there's a few of you that I feel like that's for because you're younger and you feel like you've been kind of secluded. There's a reason because God's hands on you, and he's going to use you in a powerful way when you get older, okay? All right, so let's get back to this. What I've seen in the church world that concerns me is a worldly foundation is laid. When we get away from prayer, and we get away from the power of God, and we get away from Book of Acts Christianity, we get away from biblical Christianity, there's like a whole other foundation that's laid. It's a foundation that's worldly. It's a structure that Jezebel sits enthroned over. There's false prophets of Baal that speak enticing words. False teachers are pacifying the masses with a hyper-grace, powerless message, void of repentance. Did everybody hear that? False teachers are pacifying the masses with a hyper-grace, powerless message, void of repentance. A false gospel is being preached that does not require a new birth and allows people to live in unrepentant sin, all the while feeling that they have eternal security. Now, some of these phrases, I could stop there and preach for a long time, but I'm not going to. Let me just say it again. There is a false gospel that is being preached that does not require a new birth. Jesus said, unless a man be born again, he's not going to see the kingdom of God. You have to be born again. This false gospel does not require a new birth. It allows people to live a life of unrepentant sin, all the while feeling like they have eternal security. 
This is a carefully strategized plan of Satan constructed by principalities and carried out by men and women that are under the influence of Jezebel and Ahab. But think about it for a minute. How would you feel if you had lived your life going to church and you felt like you lived a pretty moral life compared to other people? You sat in church weekend after weekend, you know, heard no telling how many sermons. To die, stand before Jesus and hear him tell you, I'm throwing you into hell because I never knew you and you lived in sin and you never got things right with me. How would you feel about the preacher that you sat under for 20 years? How would you feel about the church that you went to all that time? Think about it for a minute. Put yourself in their shoes for a minute because Matthew 7, 21 says there's going to be many people, not a few, many, that that's exactly what's going to happen to them. Lord, Lord, we did all this stuff in your name. And you can't truly prophesy and pray for the sick and see them healed and certainly cast out demons if you're not a Christian. That's the scary thing. That's what the Bible specifically says they were doing. If you think, well, non-Christians can cast out demons, then read the Bible about the seven sons of Sceva and see how that went for them. These people had something with God, but yet they didn't have the relationship. They weren't living a righteous life. They didn't have the fullness of what they were supposed to. They were religious. They went to church. They did the right things, but they didn't have the relationship. The Prince of Persia and the Prince of Greece, we talked about that before, but human liber humanism, liberalism, is why the church is powerless and worldly and at times in a defeated posture. People are allowing this influence. I don't want the influence of the world or the influence of the devil's kingdom in the church that I pastor. I don't want it in my home, and I don't want it in my church. How many feel that way tonight? And here's a few more things as I move to a close. The Antichrist spirit. The interesting thing about this is that the word Antichrist, the word Christ, because we live in America, a lot of people think that that's like Jesus' last name, you know. But in reality, it's not. <laughs> they do, I promise you. Go ask people out there tonight. They'll tell you. Anyway, Christ is not Jesus' last name. It's his title. And what Christ, it means Messiah is really... But anyway, Christ means this. It means the holy and the anointed one. So an antichrist spirit is going to be against the holiness of God, but it also against the anointing. If you can catch this, it'll really help you. The antichrist spirit is an anti-anointing spirit. In other words, it's really opposed to revivals. It's really opposed to the power of God. And, you know, you look for yourself. Just, just Google you can just like randomly think of some person, I mean, whether it's like a, a Benny Hinn or a Reinhard Bonnke or anybody that's got any type of an anointing, and just type in a quick Google search and you'll see real quick, the Antichrist spirit, bam, false teacher, false prophet, stay away, evil, going straight to hell, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> it's the Antichrist spirit, what? Stirring up to try to keep people, stay away from the power of God, <laughs> you know, that's what it's saying. But we need the power of God again restored to bring true conviction that leads to true conversion. When I read about revivals in church history, you hear about the church like it is today, dead and dry, and there were people that were desperately seeking God for revival, and God came down. And when the power of God came down, all of a sudden, the Spirit of God would come down on the lost, and they would be convicted of their sin, and they would be swept into the kingdom of God. And it was real, true conversions. And it was conversions that really lasted. You can go back and revival, and you can find all these people sometimes that are still alive and they're still serving God. We need a move of God like that again that brings true conviction and true conversion. We need a move of God that causes a godly sorrow that leads to repentance. And let me tell you something, too. I've seen another thing in churches where people run from church to church. Anytime somebody will preach something they don't like, out they go. You know, you're going to keep that rough edge on your life, that, that thing that God's trying to get off you. <laughs> You're going to keep that until you stay put for a little while and let God get his chisel and knock that thing off you. And that's, you know, we use this analogy, Brother Zach does a lot. But, you know, where the, 
the stones that David picked up, the five smooth stones, and they were smooth because they were in the river and they were bumping up against each other. See, the thing is, people go to church and all of a sudden it's like, ow. Yeah, I don't like that. Ow. Quit it. Stop it. Ow. <laughs> what God's trying to do is he's trying to get all those rough edges off you so that you can be a giant killer. But some people, are, they still, they're still putting on their little diapers, you know, coming to church. And somebody says something they don't like, and out they go, and they grab their little bottle and go to the next church. Let's grow up. Amen. Last couple things. Let's go back to our inheritance. There's an ancient path. This is what I've been trying to get to. The modern church today is not, and you read it for yourself, and you tell me after you read the Bible for yourself, is the modern church today a biblical church? You'll have to conclude it's not. So when you come to that conclusion, it's like oh, I realize that we, it's been very subpar. Let me read this to you now with that said. Jeremiah 6, 16. This says the Lord, stand by the ways and see and ask for the ancient paths where the good way is and walk in it, and you'll find rest for your soul. But they said we will not walk in it. Listen, there's an ancient path that our spiritual mothers and fathers of the faith walked in. Their spiritual mothers and fathers of the faith walked in, and it goes all the way back to Father Abraham. But there's an ancient path of righteousness and holiness and knowing God, having a relationship, knowing him, and living out his truth. And, you know, Book of Acts, Christianity, seeing the power of God. Let's get back to that ancient path. True repentance. People say, how can I get free from things like Jezebel and Ahab's influence where our home can get back in order, churches can get restored, lives can be healed. There's got to be repentance. You're not going to be free from the devil's influence without repentance. And let me tell you what repentance is. Repentance is not just saying, Jesus, I'm sorry, and then going out and doing it again. That's not repentance. Repentance is like this. You're going down the road, and it's a one-way road, and you throw on your blinker, and you do a U-turn and go the other way. That's repentance. That's how you get free from this principality garbage and these, these oppressive spirits is you repent of things. The Holy Spirit will help you. He's not going to control you like a demon would try to, but he will help you change. Where maybe you used to think a certain way, he'll convict that, and he'll help you break bad habits and start doing different, and pretty soon you'll find a freedom as you're going from glory to glory, freedom to freedom. And church does not need to be about what the people want. It needs to be about what the Lord wants. And then we all start just loving Jesus, and, and he'll change our hearts where we, we love what he loves. You know, the Bible says God gives us the desires of our hearts, and a lot of people, I think, think, well, that means I'll get what I want. And I'm not saying that that's not true, that there may be some things in your heart that you want, and God will. But I really believe maybe we should read it this way. God will put the desires in your heart. He'll give you the desires of the heart he wants you to have. In other words, where you used to really want all this worldly garbage, it's like now in Christ, it's like, man, I love the things of God. I want the things of God. There's like different desires in you now. And the last thing I would say about that is this, just that, you know, we got to quit depending on the world system to get things done. You know, throughout church history, it was by the power of God's word and the power of the Holy Spirit that people's needs were met, you know. But here in recent times with technology and with all that people think they know and that, and we've got all this uh, psychology and, and all these things figured out. People think, well, you know, we can just do it this way. To try. But it's just putting a Band-Aid on stuff. You know, it's, it's not really dealing with the issue. It's kind of like medicating an issue. When the power of God's Word comes in and the power of the Holy Spirit comes in, I mean to tell you, it's like the sword of the Spirit will just simply cut that junk right out of somebody and they'll be totally free. Otherwise, when you're dealing with it with human effort, you're just kind of medicating the problem. And here's what I wanted to pray about tonight. Dispossessing the enemy completely. This is for River of Life. For this, what I believe that you're coming into this year. Things are really about to break through for some people. God has shown me that. In Judges 2.1, it says, The angel of the Lord came up from Gilgal to Bochim, 
And he said, I brought you up out of Egypt and led you into the land which I swore to your fathers. And I said, I will never break my covenant with you. And as for you, you shall make no covenant with the inhabitants of this land. Israel was supposed to go in and make no covenants with the people there. They were supposed to destroy the people there. He said, you will tear down their altars, but you have not obeyed me. What is this you've done? Therefore, I will also, he said, I will no longer drive them out from before you, and they will become as thorns in your sides, and their gods will be a snare to you. And when the angel of the Lord spoke these words to the sons of Israel, the people lifted up their voices and wept. So the name of that place was Bochim, and there they sacrificed to the Lord. So when Israel went into the promised land, they were supposed to completely wipe out the enemy and possess the land fully. Now, how does that fit for us as Christians today? When you come to Christ, you come in with a lot of baggage from your past. There's things that have traveled down bloodlines. There's your sinful past, whatever it was. Maybe it's substance abuse or, or you know, sexual sins or the occult or violence or whatever it was. And you come to Christ and your sins are forgiven. If you truly accept Christ as your Savior and you confess your sins, he'll forgive you. But there can still be a lot of baggage there. And as a pastor, I've seen this, okay, where people need to be healed of stuff. They've had a lot of inner healing issues and a lot of deliverance issues where they need to be set free. And, you know, once the power of God comes in and they really get free, you know, they can really run this race without hindrance. But as long as they have those things in their life, it's like every time they try to go forward and do something for God, it's like that area of their life, whatever that is, it's like a thorn to them because it comes up and it begins to really afflict them and it hinders what they're trying to do for God. Whatever it is. I mean, it could be some kind of lustful pornographic thing or it could be um, like major depression and then leading into, you know, a bunch of alcohol use or something. It's like they tried to move forward, but something flares up and they feel it's holding them back. And it can be any number of things. But think about the way things used to be for you before Christ. What was it that held you back? And God is wanting us now, I feel this for River of Life specifically, to start the rest of this year, press in. We're going to do a church-wide prayer and fasting for 40 days. Press in and let's get a breakthrough in those areas. And I'm telling you, just from my personal testimony, when I came to the Lord, there was a lot of stuff I had to be free from and healed from. But I promise you, it was, it was hard, man, at first. But once God gave me breakthroughs in different areas, the freedom was amazing. And now those same things that used to hold me back, and every time I try to do something for God, it would try to come up. Those same things now, it's gone. And you can do stuff for God without hindrance. You know, I've seen over the years, you see, you know, I know there's tens of thousands and hundreds of thousands of preachers around the world. But every once in a while, you'll see somebody fall into sin. It's really sad, you know. But, th but I know this. Most of them were not like, hypocrites that were up preaching one thing and just completely living another life and they didn't care nothing about it. Most of them actually really loved God and they were sincere, but they had something in their life that went back even to their childhood that they never dealt with or they were never able to conquer. And that very thing kept working on them and working on them until they ended up falling. What would have happened if back in the Bible school days, if they had got that broken? It wouldn't have haunted them into their ministry later on. So what I'm saying is now's the time for people to press in and get a breakthrough about those things. I want you to think about it for a minute. Just close your eyes with me. Is it something that's lustful? Is it something that's fearful? Is it something that is generational in your life? What is it that you feel like has been holding you back? The book of Hebrews says to, to, to break off the, the weights that so easily beset us, the sins that so easily beset us, and run the race. There's got to be this breaking away of these things that try to wrap around people's legs spiritually. It's like, a, you know, like the seaweed that, that wraps around people's legs and, and keeps them from being able to, to swim forward. And, Lord, we ask you tonight for breakthroughs. 
and river of life. Lord, I know even people that are watching this, we're going to believe for them as well. But, Lord, I pray that I know that people have seen and experienced tremendous freedom here in River of Life from so many things. But, Lord, where there's other areas, maybe it's a health issue that's been stubborn. Maybe it's a relational issue that's been stubborn. Maybe it's another area of the setting, hindering sin in their life that's been stubborn. And they've really wanted to be free. They, they've wanted to get a breakthrough. And I'm asking you, Lord, that during right, starting tonight, that you would move in great power. And I believe everybody here is agreeing with me. Lord, that you would move in great power. And whatever that is, Lord, that you would give people the faith, the grace and the faith to believe you. Lord, that you would release the power of God. Lord, give, give them the power level to see the breakthrough happen. And also we ask you, Lord, to release wisdom and revelation because there may be something that needs to be seen and understood that once they see that and they understand something, then they'll get the victory. And, Lord, release revelation, whatever it is, because once we see it the way you see it, many times that right there alone can set us free. And we ask you to release it and bring the breakthrough, Lord, in Jesus' name, breakthrough. I feel there's been some stubborn issues with health, and God's going to systematically start breaking that off some people. 